Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They've been taking care of our air conditioning for years. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization called the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about gun control and the Second Amendment. We'll visit with Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll be focusing on our culture and some of the things that are changing and morphing, sometimes in not a pleasant way. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's really he was a mainstay in the space program back in the day. Uh, He's also uh, the author of several books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It's a great read, well worth reading. And uh, we'll be talking about his column column in Newsmax, Biden on the wrong side of every major voting issue, and you could be sure of that. We're seeing evidence of that every day. It is May the 12th, and on this day in 1780, after a siege that began on April the 2nd, 1780, Americans suffered their worst defeat of the Revolution, and we're talking about the American Revolution, with the unconditional surrender of Major General Benjamin Lincoln to British Lieutenant General Sir Henry Clinton and his army of 10,000 at Charleston, South Carolina. With the victory, the British captured more than 3,000 patriots and a great quantity of munitions and equipment, losing only 250 of their own. Confident of British control in the South, Lieutenant General Clinton sailed to, uh, north to New York after the victory, having learned of an impending French expedition to the British-occupied northern state. He left General Charles Cornwallis to command the 8,300 British forces in the South. South Carolina was deeply divided state, and the British presence led, uh, let loose the full violence of a civil war upon the population. First, the British used loyalists to pacify the Patriot popula- population. The Patriots returned the violence in kind. The guerrilla warfare strategies employed by the uh, P- Patriots, Francis Marion, Thomas Sumter, and Nathaniel Green, throughout the Cal- uh, Cal- uh, Car- uh, Carolina campaign of 1780 and 81, eventually chased the far more numerous British forces into Virginia where they eventually surrendered at Yorktown on October the 19th, 1781. Having suffered the humiliation of surrendering to the British in Charlestown, Major General Lincoln was able to turn the tables and accept Cornwallis's ceremonial surrender to George Washington at Yorktown on October the 20th. Great story, huh? But it, always, it didn't always go smoothly for the uh, patriots in the American Revolution. Humiliation in Charlestown. Charleston. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday, yesterday, last night, declared a gasoline-related state of emergency, including activating the Florida National Guard as needed. The move comes after the operator of a major pipeline that transports fuel across the East Coast was victimized by a ransomware attack and halted operations. The governor and executive order said disruption of Colonial Pipeline 
and their operation poses a significant and immediate threat to the continued delivery of such fuel products in the state of Florida. Florida's gasoline supplies are largely unaffected by the outage, but a rash of panic buying starting Monday, especially across North Florida, has caused local shortages. Uh, When it topped off my gas yesterday, just in an abundance of caution, got about $10 worth of gas, but uh, there were lines uh, down here, but apparently they're pretty significant up north in northern Florida. This came at the same time as the Pensacola area gas stations are experiencing a critical shortage caused by a cluster of issues, including an environmental protection agency shutdown of a distribution site in in the city. Jen Pisaki said the hack of the pipeline is a private sector problem, but shouldn't be handled. It should be handled by the companies involved. Well, the, the, we soon backtracked on that. You'll hear in just a moment why this might be good news uh, for the Biden administration. U.S. environmental regulators issued emergency fuel waivers on Tuesday to help alleviate shortages in the formulated gasoline in 12 states and the District of Columbia as supplies tightened five days after a cyber attack shuttered the nation's biggest pipeline. The hack of the Colonial Pipeline shut uh, down a major artery to ship fuel along eastern United States. Although the company said it expects to get the pipeline back in service by the end of the week, the Biden administration is weighing whether to waive the Jones Act temporarily amid uh, rising gas prices and shortages following a cyber attack of the largest petroleum pipeline between Texas and New York. Waiving the rule would allow non-U.S. maritime vessels to carry oil from ports of the golf course to one along the Atlantic coastline where a gas shortage is in effect following the outage of colonial pipeline operations. Jones Act, what is it? Have you ever wondered why... uh, Cruise ships have to stop at a foreign port. It's because of the Jones Act. And uh, what we, this would be great if we could actually get ships, foreign ships, uh, traveling from the, the Gulf Coast up to, uh, for example, New York or the uh, mid, Mid-Atlantic area in order to drop off fuel what, now that the pipeline is down. Uh, we should get rid of the Jones Act. It's stupid. Well, you know, it was basically designed to protect uh, uh, local shipping at the expense of these uh, foreign shippers. Well, yesterday, the Biden administration approved the first-ever large-scale offshore wind farm in the United States. The project, dubbed Vineyard Wind, aims to install 84 wind turbines 12 nautical miles off the coast of Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket, Massachusetts. The whole thing is expected to take about two years before it's operational, cost $2.8 billion, and create nearly 3,600 jobs, and the turbines could power... 400,000 houses every year, supposedly. So I'm sure the irony here is the people on Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket have to be very pleased with the Biden administration taking their beautiful view away and one of the reasons why they moved there. Well, Senator Rand Paul questioned Dr. Anthony Fauci during a Senate hearing on the current efforts to combat COVID-19 pandemic uh, Tuesday, asking whether he supports NIH funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where he speculated that the current pandemic strain was created. Doctors Barrick and Xi worked together to insert bat virus spike protein in the uh, backbone of the deadly SARS virus and then use this man-made super virus to infect human airway cells, stated Paul, adding that the NIH has funded Dr. Barrick's research, which he shared with Dr. Xi. 
The uh, SARS virus has a 15% mortality. This is a big story. It's not going to go away. I actually read some uh, commentary. Steve Hilton has done a great job in researching this whole thing. And if you go to revolver.news, revolver.news, you'll see the whole story. It's about 2,000 words, so it's long. But the whole background on this uh, NIH involvement and Dr. Fauci's involvement with this uh, whole process, he denied it vigorously and vehemently yesterday uh, while he was being interviewed by uh, Dr. Paul. But uh, I don't think it's going to wash well. He is uh, quite frankly guilty and should be uh, charged uh, with what he's created. Well, the first dose of Invermectin, Inver, Ivermectin it should be, was administered by Elmhurst Hospital Monday night, three days after the judge ordered the hospital to honor a family's request to treat their mother. Now, I'm re reviewing this story because it has big implications. I think it's very important. Some doctors say ivermectin is a highly effective COVID treatment, but it's not approved for the use by the FDA. Elmer Hospital basically uh, shut it out. Well, they inevitably got a court order, and they are going to administer the drug and uh, save this woman from COVID. But my problem with all this is, look, we don't have enough... Uh, we don't have enough... Uh, 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 cures for COVID. We don't have enough uh, treatments for the for the COVID, and I think the judge uh, judges dismay and horror at what they were uh, they're doing matches mine. It's inexcusable," said Dr. Corey. They're behaving indefensibly with a woman's life. The FDA has a page on its website titled "Why Should You Not Use Ivermectin to Treat uh, or Prevent COVID-19." The page says the drug has only been approved at very specific doses to treat parasitic worms, and that's dangerous at large doses. We released the vaccine on an emergency basis. Where are the approvals for therapeutics? That's my question. Uh, they're developing these vaccines on an emergency basis. They haven't been well tested, and yet, where are the therapeutics? Uh, the, the problem here is, of course, I think it's a political thing. They want everybody vaccinated, not uh, being cured. Well, in a strange twist of fate, a 48-year-old doctor, an Ohio doctor, unexpectedly died on April the 27th. There is no official story of the cause of the death, only a satirical obituary that was written in the first person. The news of his death made waves around the world. Various media outlets from MSN to uh, Fox News praised his self-written obituary and extraordinary life as a doctor. The news of his passing was featured in news outlets ranging from Australia to the United Kingdom. So, the, he, you know, he's uh, basically uh, uh, making fun of uh, people who aren't going to get the vaccine. He says, look, I'm getting the vaccine, the second dope. Uh, he said, the second dose, the microchip is working just fine. My mind is slowly being taken over by the hive mind. We're just fine. Resistance is futile, he said, uh, making fun of those who uh, don't want to take the virus. Then he unexpectedly died, a surgeon. The irony here, how about this? It's just unbelievable. Did he write it as satire in yet another attempt to mock vaccine skeptics who warn after, about death after vaccination? Did he write his obituary in jest just to ease his own fears and mock anti-vaxxers? Cover, this cover story shows signs of being yet another wrongful death vaccine injury caused that is being covered by uh, big pharma media. He was a victim of his own hubris, quite frankly. So a guy who's making fun of anti-vaxxers dies after taking the vaccine, just a day after taking the vaccine. You know what? We all need to make our own decisions about our bodies. We shouldn't be just following the herd. 
This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he's a constitutional scholar, an author. He's written several books. He's also the chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you, Bob. And for our listeners' benefit, tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., devoted to free markets, private property, Securing Individual Rights and Limited Government, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. And uh, we've been talking about the Second Amendment and gun control here for the last few weeks in our in our discussions. Uh, but, you know, right now, uh, do we tend to overestimate the risks of school shootings? Yes, I think certainly we do. Well, you know, the Department of Education reports 
that 50 million kids attend public school an average of 180 uh, days per year, at least when COVID's not around. And uh, since the Columbine shooting, and that was you know 22 years ago, about 200 students have been shot to death during school. So if you if you do the math, the likelihood of a student being killed by a gun in school on any given day is you know, is astronomically small. One in six hundred fourteen million. Now, it, it could be your kid, yeah. uh, but I think he or she, uh, when looked at this rationally, faces a higher risk traveling to and from school or or catching a, a potentially uh, fatal disease in school or even suffering some injury playing interscholastic sports. So it's about 120 times more kids are shot outside of school uh, than inside uh, school. Yeah. So what about the old adage that figures don't lie but liars figure? Yeah, these statistics, gun-related statistics, have to be viewed with caution. Uh, the, the source may be ideologically motivated on one side or the other. And second, it's it's difficult to hold all the variables constant except the variable that you're interested in. And I think gun statistics present special problems. Uh, the data most often cited, for example, includes suicides, which are the largest component of gun-related deaths. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we're talking about a ban on assault rifles or high-capacity magazines, suicide statistics are, are utterly irrelevant. Yeah, uh, Nobody's going to be deterred from killing themselves because he only has a handgun and can't, can't get a hold of a high-capacity magazine. It only takes one bullet to do it. Yeah, uh, and, and there are other problems as well. The data on gun-related crimes ought to include only the crimes that are committed with guns that are currently legal. Because it's logically circle, circular to argue that a weapon should be banned by quoting data on guns, uh, committed, crimes committed with a weapon that's already banned. Yeah. And, and if, we're, if we're concerned about crimes using a gun, we also have to look at crimes that are deterred uh, by uh, use of a gun. See, these, these guns are used defensively. Most of the time, they're just brandished. They're not fired. Yeah. Uh, and according to uh, Florida State uh, University uh, scholar, who, by the way, for, favors more gun control. There, there are about a half million gun crimes each year, but about two million defensive uses yeah. uh, each year. So these statistics, yes, they have to be looked at uh, circumspectly. You know, I, I read a statistic that when gun a gun is brandished, many times it's not fired. But uh, for example, knives, people uh, use those knives much more readily than they do a gun. Yeah, you know, bear in mind there there are four hundred billion guns roughly in circulation. So, and and given a half million crimes, even if you used a different gun in each of those half million crimes, which obviously isn't the case, that would mean ninety nine point nine percent of the guns are not involved right. in criminal activity. So, gun control regulations are massively over inclusive. Absolutely. So, have there been instances where gun ownership by civilians have saved lives? There have done quite a number of them. Uh, in Pearl, Mississippi, a teenager killed two students. Uh, the vice principal ran to his, star, his car and uh, got his weapon and used it to halt any further attack. In uh, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, he had a shooter killing, killing one and wounded two at a, at a school dance in the owner of the dance hall. 
uh, grabbed a shotgun and confronted the shooter and, and limited any further uh, death toll. And then there was a, the uh, Appalachian Law School in, in Virginia, a student who was a, an off-duty sheriff got his gun and delayed the uh, shooter until other students were able to tackle him. So there are quite a number of these instances. You don't hear a lot about them. You mostly hear about the uh, catastrophes uh, for, yeah. for good and obvious reasons. But well, and how about we, just... We have to counterbalance both the, uh, the problems with gun use with also those defensive uses that really help. Yeah, and, it, you know, you pointed out instances where uh, having a gun has saved lives, other lives, but there's, I think, uh, being having a gun itself, if you're put into harm's way, I mean, you are the first responder. If you have a gun, it could deter... Uh, the evil in- interests of the uh, person, the perpetrator. Absolutely. So, uh, in the aftermath of the Parkland killings and other high-profile mass murders, the pressure for more gun control has been increased. Let's get your opinion on some of the proposals. For starters, here's one of that seems to be self-evident: keep anyone on a terrorist watch list from getting a gun. Yeah, it seems obvious, but it isn't quite so simple because of the constitutional requirement for due process. The terrorist watch list contains about 800,000 names. There's a smaller uh, list, the no-fly list, um, that contains about a little over 100,000 names. So these lists, both of them, are are secretive. Mm -hmm. They're Mm error-prone. They're unaccountable. They're discriminatory. Uh, And individuals get included on these lists based solely on suspicion or hunch and the, actually, the government guidelines even state, and this is a quote from the guidelines, concrete facts are not necessary. And so, you know, unless and until we tighten up these lists and provide some means that you can challenge your inclusion on these lists and fix the errors, I don't think we should be arbitrarily denying everybody yeah. on the list uh, the right to own a firearm, especially because the practical effect of this would be negligible. You know, GAO reported uh, 23 million background checks in a recent year. Of those, 244 were on the no-fly list. That's one one-thousandth of 1%. Wow. 90% of the persons on the no-fly list are already disqualified from buying guns because they're not citizens, yeah. nor are they lawful residents. So... Yeah, this sounds like a good idea, but you have to be really careful in applying uh, these two lists. Yeah, when you brought this up, uh, it just (laughs) reminds me of uh, the interest in making uh, Trump voters uh, domestic terrorists could end up on a list like that as well. (laughs) Yeah, you you can imagine the the abuse of, of some of these things. And when there's no transparency, then the correction of these errors is a problematic thing. So uh, what about the proposal to ban high-capacity magazines? Well, you know, I can imagine a Korean shop owner during the Watts riots needing uh, multiple rounds to protect his uh, family. And I can, uh, but I can also imagine these uh, killings, like in Parkland, where innocent lives might have been saved yeah. if you had a high-capacity magazine effectively banned. So you have to determine which is the weightier concern, and that's where government has the burden. The government has to demonstrate that the benefits of banning these high-capacity magazines exceed the cost. And if government can make that showing, 
I have no doubt that a ban would survive a Second Amendment uh, court challenge. But, you know, you have to remember that homemade magazines are easy to assemble. Murderers can easily reload a second or third magazine in a matter of seconds. And most important, there, there's no way to confiscate the millions of high-capacity magazines uh, that are that are already in uh, in circulation. Yeah. Now, all of that said, you know, I'm not aware of any situation where an actual or a potential victim has fired more than say 15 rounds in in self-defense. I am aware that that magazines with a capacity greater than 15 have been used a lot of times in these mass killings. So, so that kind of evidence uh, might be sufficient to justify a limit of say uh, 15 rounds. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I so much appreciate, Bob, your commentary here on these important policy issues and law issues. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. And by the way, Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, hearing that commercial reminds me I was a, a board chairman for 15 years at Gulf Shore Playhouse and so proud of what they've achieved and what they're doing, building this new performing arts center in downtown Naples. I hope you'll visit the website, Gulf Shore Playhouse. 
org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the, on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Hey, I understand that uh, you've taken a look at Holly's book. I'd be interested in uh, reading it myself, The Tyranny of Big Tech. Any comments? Well, I just finished reading it. It's uh, an expose. I think he does an excellent job at uh, he goes back in American history to the robber barons of the late 19th century, the early 20th century, and their their constant push towards monopolization of their industries. And then he extends that conversation into the same world we're looking at here, only rather than being industrial, this is te- technological. Mm-hmm. So he makes the case that what we're looking at is a monopoly uh, being formed uh, within the big tech industry uh, that, in fact, is is conspiratorial in the sense that they agree on particular approaches. They uh, they censor in the same way. They allow in the same way. And so there's this uh, this uh, conspiratorial interaction between the big tech companies uh, to suppress certain informations, and that seems to be obviously obviously provable. One of the one of the interesting things I picked up as I was reading some of the uh, reviews of Paulie's uh, book, The Tyranny of Big Tech on, on Amazon, is it received 81% five-star reviews and 15% one-star. Yet, Bob, eight of the first 10 reviews are one-star. So I, I just point that out as an anomaly that's obviously something being done by Amazon to uh, to uh, delimit the the uh, impact of Holly's book, it's a book that should be read. Uh, I think it's uh, it's a book that uh, should lay out the uh, the reduction in the um, in the process uh, allowed by Section Two Thirty, uh, in which the the, the big tech companies uh, now have almost and I know. Let me forget almost. They have unlimited. Uh, a liability freedom uh, as they can put anything on their platforms with no fear of of liability actions being taken so that is a an expansion of 230 not just the original 230 and uh, holly does a great job at, at dealing with that uh let me just mention also a book that's uh, coming up in september and i've read a lot of the pre-releases on this it's uh, molly hemingway's book rigged uh, it deals with the election of 2020 primarily uh, before that election, during and after, uh, and from everything I've read, and that's quite extensive, uh, Hemingway does a great job at revealing the uh, the implications of that. And, and uh, to tie this back into Hawley, the role of big tech, certainly, uh, mm-hmm. in that election, this was pointed out at that point in time by, uh, by uh, scientist Joseph Epstein, who indicated that up to 15 million votes uh, could have been shifted by Google just by the way they presented information to their readers, and that's just one particular uh, statement uh, of the way big tech uh, intruded on on that election. So those two books I I would like to recommend. Well, thank you for that, Andy. You know, uh, as you're uh, speaking about Holly's book, I I was thinking back to the trust busters and the monopolies and so forth back in the turn, the Gilded Age, as I recall, and uh, the behavior that uh, these big tech companies have engaged in, and the conspiracy, quite frankly, working together in the same methods in order to suppress uh, conservative uh, expression of thought. I mean, this is the behavior, no matter, irrespective of the size of the company, that behavior is unacceptable. I wonder, you well, know, there's, there's no doubt that what you just said is, is true. And of course, then the, uh, the size of these, uh, of these groups and the fact that they create a product that in many cases by design is addictive. 
uh, you know, now someone can say, well, these are still um, uh, investments of choice in terms of the uh, the user. But but essentially, uh, you can uh, psychologically create an addictive format yeah. uh, by its nature. And that's exactly what big tech has done. That's been documented I think, time and time again. Uh, and so there is a compulsive need and there's a general feeling that, that can be again documented uh, that there's a uh, a loss when people are are away from their uh from their social media contacts they they are they have essentially lost their personality and let me just make a comment in terms of what i'm going through right now so many of my students and my students are are the norm across the wide expanse of, of upper level education but so many of them are, are begging for allowances because they've been so traumatized during this past semester by the existence of, uh, of, of COVID-19 and other anomalies in our society. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen that kind of, of perplexed nature of, the, uh, of, of student populations. This is the most extreme I've ever seen it. So the point I'm making, Bob, is that I think we have an amplification uh, of, of anxiety tendencies that have led to, uh, to uh, problems, including uh, elevated levels of suicide, which can be, again, well-documented. Yeah, that's so, such an interesting ob- observation, uh, Andy. Uh, again, I'm going to come back to the point, though. I'm a, a little weary of trust-busting. I, I think there might be others. I think the markets can solve the problem. For example, uh, pe- uh, people like you and I will turn away from these big tech companies, engage with other, uh, other platforms, and uh, before long, uh, these people will be actually in a circular <laughs> firing squad they'll be, ta- they'll be talking to themselves not necessarily talking to people that they'll influence well i'd like to believe that but uh, again if we look at and one of the things we'll talk about briefly today is education if we look at the education process uh, and it's and it's implicating of of technology into their uh, educational programs uh, and that includes certainly the the google providing of their uh, their chromebook for for use in 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 millions of students hands yeah. uh, i think we're looking at a problem that is being intentionally cultivated by big tech particularly google in the in the public school system so whether we can escape or not um certainly individuals can uh, you and i certainly because we were not raised in a world of big tech um as we can but if you get someone born from let's say 1990 forward in that period of time these yeah. people are now uh, in at 30 or they'll be going into the 30s uh, I think these people have no way of escaping from the way they have been uh, immersed in big tech from the very moment they were born, Bob. That's a great point, and along with the, the education system. Anyway, we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, 
visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. <coughs> Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. I hope you'll check it out by visiting choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. So I'm so appreciative of the Rand Paul's uh, uh, discussion with Fauci he had him on the stand and was questioning him about this uh, about the the SARS virus and his participation in, in, in its development what are your thoughts well I, I think we're finally finally getting someplace with a public acknowledgement of uh, what may be the problem and I don't want to be more definitive uh, than that right now but if we look at Rand Paul's interrogation of uh, I guess that's the best way to describe it, an interrogation of, uh, of Fauci. And we also can look at Tucker Carlson's report on Monday night, I believe it was. And we can see they're beginning to focus on, in on the essence of the problem, and that is the gain-of-function concept. Now, for your listeners who still may not be familiar with it, gain-of-function means increasing the human-to-human patho- pathogenic implication of a virus. Now, that, there was a moratorium on that established during the Obama administration, and yet uh, that research went forward in, in American laboratories. Uh, I think the number was eight American laboratories were doing gain-of-function research, and that included funding from the NIH going into the uh, Wuhan Viral Laboratory, under, and that uh, funding under the direction of, of, of Fauci. So we're looking at this, uh, this gain-of-function concept, which ultimately is the essence of the problem. How, how in fact, could this theoretically uh, bat-generated virus become a successful human-to-human virus? And, and the, the statements being made right now state pretty much unequivocally yeah. that that could not have happened without an intentional design process. Now, at that point, we can debate whether if it came out of the Wuhan laboratories, and that looks absolute, uh, absolutely true, uh, the only debate is, uh, at this point, uh, was it a, an intentional release or an unintentional release? Uh, there's no way to document either one. However, uh, in 2015, the Epic Times is reporting, and it's one of my favorite uh, yep. favorite newspapers at this point. The Epic Times is reporting that in 2015, a book was published by the Chinese military called The Unnatural Origin of SARS 
and genetic weapons based on man-made viruses. Now, this is coming out of the Chinese military press in 2015, immediately before uh, all of this started to churn out of the Wuhan laboratories. Uh, in this book, they say uh, deploying such bioweapons would be more advantageous than using conventional warfare and military actions uh, because military moves can be traced back to the state and result in international condem condemnation. Genetic weapons, on the other hand, can be concealed in deployment and it is hard finding evidence against them. Wow. So that is exactly where we, we are right now. Uh, there's every reason to believe that these uh, bioweapons were created in uh, the Wuhan laboratories. Uh, and in fact, were, if we can take the suggestion offered by this book from the Chinese military, there was the strong possibility of an intentional release of this in, uh, in the early part of 2020. Yeah. Uh, so here we are looking at this, and I believe uh, you and I were talking about this particular factor, the gain of function, uh, back as early and as early as late December of uh, of, tw of 2019, uh, 2020. I'm losing right. track of my dates here. Yeah, uh, of 2019, and we continued that in 2020. Uh, that the world is just catching up with what was obviously available, even to a uh, an essayist like myself and a, a podcaster like you, uh, seems to be. Uh, a, a, in an inexplicable delay in in focusing in on the uh, the the problem as it may have been a bit may have been created, Bob. Yeah, it's so true. And it, it, what's interesting to me is that that uh, this reaction now, uh, I think uh, Fauci used the word "we're parsing." He said he he vehemently denied his involvement with uh, any kind of uh, money transfer from NIH to uh, the the lab in China for the uh, funding of gain of function research. He vehemently denied that, but he the words were parsing. Well, you know what? Uh, it really comes down to he did what he did. Now we just have to find out, or we can uh, have a discussion about whether what he was funding was uh, gain of re uh, fun function research. And I think definitely it was. I he is. I think there's no doubt about that. He's also. Uh try to work around the moratorium statements that came out of the Obama administration, as I mentioned, uh, because there's a provision in that uh, moratorium that uh, gain-of-function research can be pursued in the interest of national security. So there is that, that opt-out or copped-out area of, of this uh, uh, moratorium that uh, Fauci has essentially uh, hung his hat on and his money on, essentially. Yeah. If we look at the early part of 2020, there were 59 cases of uh, of COVID-19 worldwide, yet within a week from that moment in early 2020, uh, Moderna had already patented their their the vaccine process. So uh, the point I'm making, or I guess I'm suggesting, and it sounds awfully conspiratorial, and I understand that uh, there was uh, Moderna seemed ready for a, uh, an, a a pandemic that was not even remotely in place at the point that they offered their particular approach to the vaccine uh, pr production. Bob. Wow, that is a very interesting observation. Thank you for that, Andy. Hey, I want to move to uh, critical race theory and uh, education uh, because there's such important issues right now. You mentioned the young people right now born but after 1994 or 6, I think you mentioned. Uh, and now critical race theory is fortunately den denied here in uh, Florida, but it's, it's rampant in other states. 
Well, I think what you're describing also is a bifurcation of America, Bob. The, uh, the, the red states and some of the purple states are, are prohibiting the introduction of critical race theory into their schools. And, of course, it's far, it's far wider spread than the schools. I mean, we have uh, this is taking place in corporations. The, probably the best example of that is, is Disney, which is essentially I, uh, hard to imagine how a historically very pro-American, very patriotic company has now gone entirely to the other side. Uh, plus, critical race theory is being used extensively in many areas of, of military uh, training, indoctrination. Yeah. So we're looking at a concept that is uh, one of the most dangerous and uh, just the most, uh, I'm going to call it vulgar, because it suggests, Bob, that uh, there is an evil associated with whiteness that is inescapable within every white. Uh, it is not just something on average. It's not just the some whites. It's not just a, a process where there, there should be a leery awareness of of, of some of the behaviors of whites. This is a statement, Bob, that all whites, because of the genetic disposition, are capable of uh, acts of discrimination, acts of uh, violence against minorities, and, and suppression of minorities. This is an extremely dangerous concept, so totally un-American. It is hard to imagine uh, how it could have gotten a foothold in a healthy country, and I would suggest there's no way critical race theory could be, success be as successful as it is if America was a healthy culture, Bob. Yeah, I agree with that, and uh, you know, again, I come back to the fact that I'm for dis I'm for for diversity. Uh, the ultimate diversity, of course, is the respect for the individual, not categorizing uh, groups of people uh, or as uh, you know identity politics, and that's exactly what this is. So. Uh, it, it is harmful to our society. I'm not sure that it's uh, being widely accepted, but I think it is being widely taught. And, uh, you know, when you repeat stuff often enough, people begin to believe it. Well, with the suppression, the immediate suppression of the 1776 commission by the Biden administration and the, the active support of this, certainly it's not everywhere. And I, you know, Florida, we're in a, a wonderfully... <laughs> Uh, protected cocoon because of uh, of Governor DeSantis and uh, the, the the very nature of our state. But again, if we look at some of the red states, all of the red states, uh, blue states, I would suggest uh, this is happening and it's going to increase. And the the extended implication is the in terms of the educational outcome. Uh, certainly, it's damaging the essential mindset of of our children, and they yeah. go into the adult world. But then they bring that into their areas of employment. They bring it into their if they become lawyers or if if we look at even what's happening at Disney, this is not just some sort of a, uh, a uh, an ideological shift of people of unbiased minds. This is a fulfillment of what most of their middle-level managers, and in some cases, upper-level managers have gone through in the public school system and in the universities of America. So I think we have to look at the, the real problem is the extended impact of this kind of indoctrination as it affects all of the institutional life of America. I, I would even suggest that that is part of the, the problem affecting the FBI, and I think we can see it elsewhere in the, in the federal, federal bureaucracy, Bob. Well, there's no question, Andy. I just, just genuinely appreciate your comment. I wanted to talk more about the uh, uh, deeper, go deeper into education. Perhaps we could do that next week. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. And again, the name of Andy's book is uh, Josephus Savaz. <laughs> Way off topic for today's discussion, but I think you'd find it very interesting. Josephus Savaz by Andrew Joppa. Okay, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, kind of going against the tide of this current administration, but getting a great job done. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He was one of the mainstays of the space program back in the day. He's also uh, the author of several great books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. What a great read it is. What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's always enjoyable being on. Thank you, Professor. You also write your column, On Point, it's called, for uh, Newsmax.com. So entertaining and interesting. Your latest... In- <laughs> It's it's great. Biden on the wrong side of every major voting issue. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, Bob, I think we're going to probably agree on a lot of these points, especially all of them. Uh, We uh, sometimes get kind of worried about uh, politics. I guess I'm pretty obsessed with it. I'm sure you are as well. But, you know, the 2022 election is coming up. It's... uh, Come an urgent time. We're already into that season, and you sort of wonder and think about uh, you know, the various issues that people really care about, and and so I've I've put down a few that I think are are really key ones, and I think people probably very high on the list is wanting security from violence and individuals' sense of 
law and order and so on. That's I think that's a key one. And I think the border issue has a lot of ramifications. Uh, you know, we see uh, it represents our national sovereignty on one level, and on the other level, it also represents our sense of security and that, you know, that uh, at least when you see uh, caravans of people coming across the border that are unvetted and and many of them have COVID and so on, and they're and from a human humanitarian standpoint, you know the you know they're oppressed by uh, you know coyotes and there's all kinds of assaults on them and and so on. That that that's uh, I think concerning on many levels. Yeah. We think of the emphasis that was put on the so-called Trump cages for children, and basically we were seeing that. Uh, that play out now where the uh, Democrats don't want any photo ops down there because it's not going to help them out a bit. Right. And then the notion of, I think, reopening businesses and schools and lives, and there's so much discussion about whether masks are are uh, really required outdoors and uh, what the real statistics are, and we find that uh, CDC and, and uh, so-called Medical authorities keep changing their their uh, uh, guidelines on these things, and and understandably, there's been a lot of you know the virus is is a new phenomenon, and we haven't known how to deal with it. But a lot of guidelines seem to be proving uh, not very uh, cogent. Then the, the Green New Deal, which has been rebranded now as the Infrastructure Program, and both directly and indirectly impacts our our energy and our economy, and uh, we see the shutting down of the Keystone Pipeline and the offshore and, dr- and drilling on public lands and and on public lands, and uh, you know more time on that, and, and uh, it comes at a particularly uh, difficult time right now where we see the Colonial Pipeline shut down because of hackers and you know in Russia and when you have hackers in Russia you can believe that that it's government supported and government sponsored because otherwise uh, the hackers would get hacked by the you know by the by Putin yeah so uh, you know that's we see now I think that you know the the challenges of Hamas and Israel and we see the you know the testing of uh, Biden by Russia and China and so on so have all those issues, and and then the, the government spending and taxes, and they say, well, gee, there really isn't going to be any inflation, but, but, you know, you look what you're paying for groceries, and you look at, you know, there's rampant inf- inf- inflation and, and debt, and uh, and then the issue is who's going to pay for it. Well, you know who's going to pay for it. It's going to be, you know, this, this notion of, well, we're not going to raise uh, any money, any taxes, on people making less than four hundred thousand dollars in a year, and then well, maybe it's families you know, to make four hundred thousand a year, and and, and uh, you know, meanwhile, you have death taxes and everything else. So, you know, so that's that's really uh, uh, kind of kind of a a, a hoax, and yeah. uh, and I think also broadly, there's there's this broad issue that. That um, you know, there's all these horrors going on that surrounding us, 
with regard to our cancel culture and our rights and and uh, you know we, we see that previously a, a sitting president of the United States is blocked on Twitter and social media and we we see uh, the 1619 project being introduced into schools along with you know with uh, all this uh, critical race theory and race baiting and stuff and and attack on our election systems where the corporatists now have jumped in and said, well, requiring everyone to be able to identify themselves if they vote is somehow racist and unfair and Jim Crow. And it's all these things. Yeah. That it's kind of a fire hose of, of things. And, and and we try to sort out in our minds, you know, well, what what's going on here? You know, are we are we drowning in stupidity and and, and are we doomed and... I have to remind myself, well, we're not a minority. You know, we're not weak. And right. basically, I think the uh, midterms are going to be a, a big reawakening for, for on both sides where these kitchen table issues, which midterms are about, they're state and local issues. Yeah. All of these things impact our individual lives and our children and things we really care about. And uh, frankly, I think we're... Uh, we're on the winning side of these things. Yeah, you know, I, I did genuinely appreciate your summary of these issues. I think it's uh, so important that we recognize what's happening and the power that we have individually. I mean, we need to be the, we need personally to be the change that we want to see in the country. That's kind of what happened with the Patriots back during the American Revolution. So all this thing, all these things can be turned around. I see, I have this prism. I see everything that's happening through the prism of make America great again, and the prism of what would Trump have done? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you take exactly the, the opposite of what Trump would have done, and that's what uh, the Biden administration is doing. Well, it occurred to me this morning, uh, we kind of have a, a president in exile, I think, from the standpoint of, the, a, lot of the, a lot of us, where exactly what you're saying, we have, we say, what, you know, what would Trump be doing? And uh, for one thing, I think if we had Trump, and we wouldn't be having a lot of these issues, right? And we wouldn't we wouldn't be up against the wall and all these different things. So, so I think we're we're going to see uh, again the comeuppance of you know Liz Cheney today, and in terms of her uh, her situation uh, in the Republican Party, and uh, and I think Trump really has a lot of the liberals very worried right now. They, Of course, I think the, the second impeachment, probably the first one, is trying to make him ineligible for running again, and uh, whether you know you want him as the front runner or not is a matter of perhaps perhaps discussion yep. um, in, in, in 2024. But nevertheless, there's no question that uh, his guiding... Uh, Vision and principles are very much with us, and uh, and I think they're I think they're playing out, and I think Brexit. I, I saw yesterday that the approval for Brexit in 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 in, uh, in Britain is is very high yeah. right now, and that's proving out. And there's there's a strong parallel, I think, between the kind of nationalism there and the kind of nationalism here, where you you got to fix your own fences before you start. Uh, trying to uh, uh, lead everyone else. Absolutely. Again, uh, Professor Larry Bell, 
I just want to highlight, uh, first of all, On Point, you can find it at Newsmax.com. He writes more than one column a week, just uh, this one, Biden on the wrong side of every major voting issue, a good read. Also, his book, his latest book, he's written many, some on climate change. Uh, uh, Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom is one of my favorites. His latest book is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It's a great read. Professor Bell, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, if you have any comments, you can send me an email at bobhardenathotmail.com. bobhardenathotmail.com. You can also ask to be on the distribution list of the newsletter that I send out after each show. Hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Madison Cawthorn. He is the youngest member of Congress in North Carolina. We'll look forward to our discussion with Matt Madison. Uh, Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley is the uh, founder and president of Less Government. And, of course, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.